This project has consumed me for the past week or so, and I am so excited to get it out here. It was a lot of work, even more work than I expected. In fact, I had to record the episode twice, because the first time Emily joined me, I neglected to record her audio, so it was just me blabbing away at myself in the ether. But the second time, I was able to get both of our audios, and I was able to edit it together. And boy, was editing audio a trick. I thought it would be easy. I thought I could just intuitively figure it out. But no, I couldn't. So I recruited uh, one of my followers from TikTok who had offered their help. And he was able to stitch it all together and make it at least listenable, I hope. The only problem now is that my friend who is helping me write the intro ditty is a school teacher. And this is the exact worst time to ask him to help me with a project. So he's willing to do it and he's working on it. But he also has two small kids at home and it's the beginning of a school year. So he's busy. So for now, you get to hear my version of it. This is what I told him when he asked me, what are you thinking? What what do you imagine your ditty should sound like? I said, it goes a little something like this but with actual instruments and with an actual musician who can write it. A one, a one, a one, two, three, four. Tim Blackett, Tim Blackett, Tim Blackett, Tim Blackett, Tim Blackett, and friends. Friends on! I feel a certain serendipity in having Emily Austin join me on this, the inaugural episode of Tim Blackett and Friends. Her book, Everyone in This Room Will Someday Be Dead, was one of the first book talk books I found. That is, it is one of the first I saw someone talking about on TikTok. I can't for the life of me remember which creator it was, and purposely went to buy it based on that TikTok recommendation. I'm sure you know I loved it. I knew I would based on the brief description of the plot. A clinically anxious lesbian accidentally gets a job at a Catholic church. I grew up in a church, not Catholic, but one that would not be happy about an unapologetically queer person working in the front office. One that very often advocated against the use of medication to help with things like anxiety or depression or various other ailments. I have also suffered with my own depression for almost as long as I can remember and was very recently diagnosed with a generalized anxiety disorder. So while I am a straight, cisgendered man, and Gilda, the main character, is the near opposite of that, I felt like I found myself almost immediately upon opening these pages. I started telling everyone about it as soon as I was finished, recommending it to friends, giving it to others as gifts, and I included it in my own TikTok video entitled, Five Books for Which I Will Not Accept Criticism, which is still my most viewed video on BookTok with 715,000 views, and it is, I believe, the video that kickstarted any success I've had on TikTok. Since posting the video, my account has gone from barely over 2,000 followers to over 40,000 And many of those new followers have suggested I start a podcast, which is why we are here now recording the first episode. As often as life feels random and chaotic, and as much as I look to art in order to organize my thoughts and myself in general, it is sometimes nice when life seems to fit into these neat little circular boxes. From reading her book to becoming TikTok friends, mutuals as they say, to having Emily agree to blurb my own forthcoming book, to the TikTok page exploding almost entirely because of a video about her book, to now hosting her as my first guest on my first episode. 
it feels a little surreal. I feel lucky to have her here. Emily Austin is the author of Everyone in This Room Will Someday Be Dead, which was shortlisted for the Amazon First Novel Award, along with a stunning cast of writers. Lisa Bird Wilson, who will join me in episode three in November. Connor Kerr, who was also published by Nightwood Editions, my own publisher. Amy Wall, whose book is my most recent purchase. Brian Thomas Isaac, and of course, Pick Xuan Fong, who won the award. Austin was also longlisted for the Stephen Leacock Memorial Medal for Humor and was a finalist for the Ottawa Book Awards. I have just finished Emily's first book, a novella called Oh Honey, which is equally as fascinating, but which an astute Goodreads reviewer calls everyone in this room will someday be dead, scarier, darker, more upsetting ancestor. It is, says the reviewer, awful, but good. Emily has two books to look forward to in 2024. In January, Interesting Facts About Space, a novel about a paranoid, space-obsessed lesbian who is terrified of bald men, which I have pre-ordered with all of the gusto in the world. And in March, a collection of poems called Gay Girl Prayers, which reclaims Catholic prayers and biblical passages to empower girls, women, and members of the LGBTQIA community, which I'm equally excited for. Emily Austin, thank you for joining me on Tim Blackett and Friends. Thank you so much for having me, Tim. I'm so honored to be your first guest. I I want to say uh, that I loved your book also, like Tim mentioned in that in that great intro. I had the the lucky chance of being able to read Grandview Drive early, and I'm excited for it to be shared with the world. But yeah, thanks for having me on your podcast. Thanks for doing this again. Uh, we had to do a. We had to have a do-over because our first one didn't record properly, so it's a little bit strange redoing everything. But here we are, round two of episode one, and I think it'll make it even better, hopefully. Yeah, that was our dress rehearsal. So this yeah. one's gonna be this one's gonna be great. <laughs> exactly. So I just have to start and I and I have to ask, how great was that first novel award ceremony with all those authors in one room? Oh yeah. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. It was cool to meet, uh, like you mentioned, some of the names there. It was cool to meet other authors. Um, my book came out sort of like right in the middle of quarantine. And so I didn't really, I, I didn't meet people. You know, everything, I met everyone on uh, on Zoom. Like I didn't meet my literary agent until that event. And everything I was doing felt... Um, you know, I actually generally prefer doing things online because I'm a bit of a like hermit. But I, it was it was uh, an interesting experience to be able to see people in person, and it was the first time I did that, so it was it was cool. So those kinds of things, do you get to like talk to each other, like the other writers, about like stuff we you're did. doing, or is it? At that one, we did. That one was like so. Um, you know, not that I've been to a bunch of these things, but at, at that event, it was sort of uh, still kind of a relatively smaller group of people because uh, it was, I can't remember what time period it was, but it was, you know, generally still like the, the numbers in COVID weren't that bad at that time, but it was pretty fresh that they had been. Um, so it it was the other authors, the judges, and there were like teenagers there who had been part of, as part of the Amazon Book Award, there were, um, there was like a student award. And uh, that was actually my favorite part of it because it's, I think it's fun to meet, uh, you know, I see myself in, you know, teenagers who want to be writers and I think it's uh, endearing. So it was a relatively smaller group of people. Um, and I, I forget the original question, but hopefully I answered it in that rambling. <laughs> I was just wondering how, like, for me, those events seem really fun because 
Like I've been to very few of them. In fact, I have not been to any as someone who was publishing something. The only things I've gone to where other writers are there is like conferences that I've paid for to like right. glean yes. some tidbits of info from those published authors. So, but those are right. always fun for me because sometimes I get to bump into authors and have real conversations about like the writer's life and stuff like that. And I did actually get to talk to people. It was still, it still felt a little like, uh, I don't know. It was, it's sort of like a strange environment to be in. And it was like at the Amazon first yeah. awards. So there were also like Amazon people there and there's, you know, generally among <laughs> I don't love Amazon personally. Right. And that was sort of funnily the topic of conversation, which was, you know, we should uh, like the conversation was less about writing and more about how we should take a lot from the bar because Amazon is paying and <laughs> that kind of thing. Yeah. I didn't really get a chance to talk too much about, um, you know, writing with, with yeah. anybody, but I got to have nice little conversations with some people. So cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, in preparation for this interview, partly a bit of research, partly an experiment in procrastination, I watched nearly all all of your TikToks. Uh, I tried not to like click the heart too many times, so you didn't get like bombarded with Tim Blackett likes your videos. But um, <laughs> so that was fun and interesting because like we've been friends for a while, so I see your posts. But TikTok doesn't show all of anyone's posts to one person yeah, i don't think true. it's like weird so i don't know but i just love how like plain old laid back you are in your videos like for me i need to build up or amp myself up into this like exaggerated version of myself like i don't think i'm acting any differently than i typically do but i have to like just be a little bit extra or something <laughs> You come across really sincere and candid, honestly. You don't, I, I don't pick up on that at all. So you're hiding it well. <laughs> cool. Yeah, I don't know what it is. Like, I, like if I'm just sitting on the porch with my partner and like, you know, sipping tea or having a smoke, I'm not talking as animated as I do on TikTok. Oh, yeah. You put a little, yeah, I get that. That's good, though. And that's good for a podcast to have a little bit of a radio voice or yeah. whatever it is. <laughs> yeah, I think I just put on a, a radio voice for the vids, yeah. but... <laughs> Anyway, uh, you just seem so laid back and maybe even a little bit unenthused sometimes. To me, it feels like you, you just sort of decided to push record and pushed record. A bit of a spur, spur of the moment situation. Um, you put a lot of thought or energy into them or... Oh, definitely not. Not TikTok. And, and to be honest, it uh, it's a little mortifying to think of any other thing of you watching all my TikToks in, in one go. I think... Um, <laughs> yeah, I think TikTok is I find TikTok really fun and uh I I know there's, you know, like conversation but there's something more authentic about TikTok than yeah. my experience on like Instagram or whatever in the past and I really like that. I think like, you know, I've been through a few like social media platform changes and I think TikTok's one of the better ones. I like Tumblr too and in, in the heyday I was into Tumblr, but TikTok, I think, has a nice, it has a good community on it. And there's some like candidness there that I, my, I honestly, to post anything to social media, to the internet in general, or even to write books, my, I have to kind of in my head just not really care that much. I think my, like the younger version of myself would have really cared 
that, you know, if I'm recording myself or putting myself on the internet, I probably would have, wouldn't have done it actually. But if I were to, it would have been way more um, calculated. And now I just, uh, it's easier to just not care. I think maybe that's, yeah. Um, yeah, I just have this. And I apply that also to when I'm writing. I think like, yeah, you know, I don't care. <laughs> I'm just going to yeah. do it. I'm going to okay yeah. well, well that's interesting because i kind of brought that up with your videos because the few times when you talk about writing and especially when you sort of hint at oh honey but even everyone in this room will someday be dead sometimes it feels like in your head writing or being a writer is some kind of accident like you just sort of sat down and started write, writing one day without any big big goals or lofty ideas about what being a writer was so uh and part of me understands that or relates to that a whole lot. Like the act of writing is solitary and for me a way to, you know, sort of take care of myself. My writing is mm -hmm. mine. When I'm sitting down to write, I'm not in anyone else's world. I'm just in my own world and nothing else matters. And I always say I'd be doing this thing called writing for the rest of my life, whether I got published or not. Although mm -hmm. publishing was always my goal. Um, but another part of me the weirdo artist part somehow believes that everything I write down is important and that everyone on earth should be excited <laughs> to read it and <laughs> publishers should be fighting for my work and all of that. <laughs> That's a good uh, attitude. <laughs> yeah. It's like two personas. Like one, one I'm like crippling, cripplingly terrified to show any of my work to anybody on one hand, but on the other hand, I think as soon as I do show it to someone, <laughs> I'm going to like burst forth and everyone's going to like think Tim is the greatest. <laughs> but I like, think that's probably healthy. You need a little bit of that to be able to do it. Maybe that's, maybe. Maybe that's helpful <laughs> in some way. Uh, they're like equally as powerful, but mostly, mostly this cripplingly self-conscious person is right. for forefront in my brain until. Okay. So I just need a little bit of that guy over here saying, "You're the best." To, <laughs> to get I'm glad myself so you, out you're there. the best guys in there too. Yeah, you need you need, yeah. or we would we wouldn't get your we wouldn't get Grandview Drive and everything else that I'm sure we have to look forward to. So. Yeah, I'm not sure what that says. Uh, keep taking your crazy pills, Tim. <laughs> but uh, I am curious about your sort of start as a writer was it really as passive as it seems or has it always been something you've wanted to do i guess let's hear about your writerly origins sure yeah so um when i was a kid i was terrible in english uh i had a learning disability and like i don't think i learned to read until grade four and even now um I like I struggle with say, with uh, pronouncing a word I'm I'm not familiar with saying out loud because I don't associate words with their sound. So, anyways, all that to say, uh, when I was a kid, I used to make up really elaborate stories for toys, and I would make up complicated stories in my head. Uh, but I would have considered myself someone who's terrible at at writing. And I thought that until I got to high school. And when I started high school, I still thought, okay, like English is one of my worst subjects. You know, I went into English class thinking, I'm, you know, I got to scrape by to pass this. Uh, but I had a really nice English teacher. And so, depending on where people are listening in the world, in, in Ontario, there's, and I don't, that's probably true across Canada, let me know, but the, 
there's applied and academic level classes. Is that how it is for you too? Or is that is that an uh, Ontario thing? I think like AP English is what you're talking about. Maybe. Okay. So it's probably well, yeah. I think I think so, but I went to a really sort of strange private Christian school. Oh, you went to private Okay, okay. So, so you have uh, a different experience. Totally outside okay. of the public schools. That's interesting. I'd love to hear about that. But yeah, so I was in <laughs> I was in like, you know, more trade school track okay. English when I started high school. Like not the English you would need to take in order to be accepted into like a four-year university and um my english teacher i had to write a short story it was one of our first assignments in that class was to write a short story and so i wrote a short story and i truly believed it was not good like i i i thought i gotta pass this class so i tried but i handed it in thinking this is terrible and i hope that i get a 50 percent but then the teacher handed it back and she gave it an A plus and wrote like really inco- encouraging comments on it. And that's that teacher also, she, she submitted it into a contest and it won for like our municipality and then it won for our province. And this was so shocking for a 13 year old me. Like I really genuinely, awesome. it was quite like, it was so encouraged. It was the nicest thing. That teacher was, was really nice for doing that. And then she went out of her way to move me from that level English to the higher level English. So if she hadn't done that, I wouldn't have been able to uh, go to university, for example, without jumping through, you know, different hoops and things. Um, so, yeah, long story short, I had a really encouraging English teacher. Um, and and I, I, do, I don't think I'm completely passive about writing. I like, I like the persona that you painted of me there, though. I think that sounds cool <laughs> that I'm not trying and it's just, I'm just like magically being able to, to yeah. you know, write. That sounds cooler. So I, I don't want to break, the, break that image, but I think it's, it's probably not true, obviously. You know, to get yeah. a book published, you have, to, you have to reach out to people. You have to, you know, you have to do all these things. And I, I did those things. So it certainly wasn't passive. And, you know, I definitely wanted to be a writer. I do think I always like, and even now I have like the, in the little people in my head are, there's one who's saying like, that I'm not even like, I almost don't even believe that I have a book published. And it might be partly because of the weird environment when I did have a book published where everything was virtual and I was able to sort of disassociate from it happening. And you know, everything else was still the same as it always, well, you know, like COVID was going on, but I was still working like at my normal job, still doing everything, you know, everything was relatively yeah. the same so I could compartmentalize it. And even now, like I'm still, um, you know, the book's been out for a couple of years now and I still feel very like, like if I woke up tomorrow and and we're told like, oh, that was just a very vivid dream. I'd be like, that makes sense. That adds up. That actually feels more realistic than the, than actually having a book published. I always expect the worst, I think, and that might feed into my attitude about not, uh, I don't know, my what you're perceiving on my TikTok, for example, might be a part of me thinking, ah, it doesn't matter. <laughs> okay, so this feeling that you have where it's like sometimes you f- doesn't feel like you even have a book out, like pretend, mm-hmm. you're, pretend you're at some thing not to do with anything literary, but you've mm-hmm. met a new person. 
And they across, they're across from you, and they're like, "So, what do you do? Do you tell them about your day job, or you tell them I'm a writer?" Actually, you know what? I have a hard time telling people I'm a writer. I don't. Yeah. Uh, I I think I say my day job. I I'd be a lot more likely to say my day job. It would depend on the circumstance a little bit, but um, yeah, I'd probably. I'd probably say my day job, and actually at my day job, I didn't want to tell people that I'd written a book, and I thought I could kind of get away with not doing that, (laughs) but uh, they found out, and I took a little bit of time, there was like a period of time that I took off from working at my day job, and I worked for a short time at uh, a public library, the public library in Ottawa, and that sort of was in the same time period as my book coming out. And uh, during that time period, everyone at my, like, original job, I think they found it. Like, it was on, like, CBC and stuff. And I, mm. I don't want to say where I work, but it was, it's pro- proliferally, <laughs> they would read something that came out of the CBC. And yeah. uh, so I came back and they're all like, your book, I read your book. Like, and I'm like, oh, God. And, and now when I see people that I haven't seen in a while, they're like, oh, you wrote a book. And I'm like, oh, God, I don't know how to navigate this <laughs> conversation. Interesting. Yeah, because... Yeah. I don't know. I like my book's not even out yet, and I, I have no idea how many people will even read it or how it's going to do. Or anything. I think lots of people are going to read it. It's a great book. Well, I hope that, everyone. Hope, hope I it hope that its audience. Yeah. I hope that's true. But yeah, when when I meet new people, I never say I'm a writer. First, I just tell them about my day job. Right. It's not even out yet. But in my my partner always says, "Why don't you tell people that you wrote a book and stuff?" You probably should. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Like, I know I, th- I have the same problem, but I think, you know, one thing that I did learn from that experience of coming back to my day job and people knowing that I had written a book is that it's kind of nice because they, most people are so nice, right? Like, for example, like a bunch yeah. of these people have bought my book, which is really sweet. And they'll, you know, like in those awkward moments, I don't, it depends on your job. You work for the library, right? Is yeah. That, but yeah, so... Depending on depending on the environment, like if you're in a meeting or something, there's those like moments before you, you know, talk about the subject of the meeting where people try to make small talk. Yeah. And now small talk is often like, do you have another book coming out? And it's kind of sweet. It, it's sweet of people to, you yeah. know, have a chance to know you. I think maybe it's yeah. probably good. <laughs> I guess I just keep kind of waiting for a moment in my brain where it like switches to like, now I believe I'm an author. So when people yeah, ask me what I'm doing, it's not going to happen. I, think I you can just say gotta, I'm an author. Yeah, I think you just have to do it. That's probably because I feel the same way. I feel honestly, yeah. I I think this is like a serious problem in me. But even saying, um, I struggle to say like I'm a writer. Something in my head yeah. is like, oh, like you shouldn't say that. <laughs> There's something telling me like that's not that's not the right thing to say. So. I I had to practice that too, but I've been. Oh yeah. It's I don't know how many years ago it was, but in my head, I felt like I couldn't take myself seriously unless I called myself, at least in my own brain, a writer. So I started okay. thinking of myself as a writer. That's good. So that I could do better work on the page. That's good for you. Uh, and so that's I slowly good. started telling people I'm a writer. So if they say, "What do you do?" and it's obvious they're talking about like, "How do you pay your bills?" I talk mm. about my day job, but if there's any other room opening, well, then I'll say, I'm also a writer. I'm working on a book or now I can say I have a book coming out. 
But I think that's probably the right thing to do. That's the yeah. that's the healthy good thing <laughs> to do. I support it. <laughs> yeah. Maybe maybe when my book starts paying some bills, then I can tell people I'm an author. But maybe. Uh, I we'll see. Yeah, it's hard to I still feel that way and mine's starting to pay a couple bills, but I still feel a little like uh, I don't know. <laughs> there's something there's something about it. I think we have to I think we have to get over it and just do it. That's probably yeah. the 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 thing to do. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Moving on, I suppose. Um everybody in this room will someday be dead. Seems to me like a big and thoughtful book. But in various reviews that I've seen of it, it's called, one review calls it a fun page turner of a novel. That's Sarah Haywood. And it's called a novel with, quote, a kind-hearted heroine we all need right now. And one review says, turn to any page in this lovely debut and you'll meet a tsunami of joy. And I think this is all, like, partly true at least. But to me, it feels like it's so much more than that. And that the... It feels to me like, especially that last bit, there's a lot of pages that you could turn to that you would not find a tsunami of joy <laughs> or or any sort of joy. Like, the, right. the novel is funny. Aggression. Yeah. And, yeah, and I laughed out loud a number of times with this book. Like, when I recommend it to people, I say it's funny. But it also deals with some pretty dark and heavy things sometimes. Um, like, I couldn't help loving Gilda and hating Giuseppe. <laughs> But it feels like a book, one of those big books that's not easily pigeonholed into one thing. Like it has a pretty deadly uh, elevator pitch. Uh, atheist <laughs> lesbian accidentally gets a job at a church. That's basically what it's about. But it's also like darkly humorous. And I don't know. It's in the end hopeful, but there are parts that, you know, they get pretty dark and serious and some pretty heavy issues. So I guess I'm wondering, were you. When you set out to write the book, were you, or anytime you're sitting down to write, are you setting out to make people laugh? Do you want to make people think? You've said you wanted to make an F, put more of an effort into planning, and every everybody in this room will someday be devils. One of the first that you really planned out before writing, as opposed to just sitting down to write. Yeah. So I'm wondering, in a perfect world, what do you want your readers to get from your writing? Or more generally, do you think about the big ideas of your novels while writing, or are you just writing the story that needs to come out of you? That's a good, I think it's probably something in the middle. With with this book, I was, um, you know, I didn't expect it to be read by anyone. Um, you know, I didn't have like a literary agent or anything when I, th this is the book where I found a literary agent through and, uh, um, I didn't really, and I have that problem where I expect the worst. So I didn't write it really thinking anyone would read it but me. Um, like maybe a little bit of think, like hoping that would be cool, but really, really not at all expecting that. So I didn't write it thinking about um, the reader that much, I guess, which is maybe that's not a good practice, but I was, <laughs> I was thinking more about what I wanted to write and, uh, originally sitting down this is something i've started to i've sort of noticed in myself as i was younger as i would try to write and it be my intention was for it to be like funny or interesting originally 
But I think that was actually kind of holding me back a little because I had a hard time writing um, anything that was sort of uh, earnest uh, because, you know, I imagined, um, I don't know, I just, I didn't have a good attitude about that. I thought I, I just want to write something that is funny and uh, when I first started writing Everyone in This Room Will Someday Be Dead, I planned it out to the, I didn't plan it out in detail in terms of having chapters planned or anything like that. It was, it was more that I had um, that, that pitch pretty much. I, like I had the idea that I'd write about an atheist lesbian working at a Catholic church. And, um, you know, the book sort of divided by uh, the Catholic calendar and I had that sort of relatively near the beginning planned out. Um, and I had the intention in my, in my mind that I would turn it into a book. Normally when I wrote before that, I didn't think at all about how it would end or anything like that. I was fully just writing because I liked to write and I was writing for myself. And with everyone in this room, I was still writing for myself, I think. But as it progressed and I started to think, okay, this will I, this could actually become a book. I'm actually like structuring this in a relatively more thoughtful way. Um, then I started to think like, oh, maybe something could happen with this. And, and, and I started to write s some things that were more earnest. So again, my intention when I started to write it was for it to be funny. Uh, but if you write about an atheist lesbian woman working in a Catholic church, it's it's going to be, um, you know, you wouldn't really be accurately representing that experience if you didn't acknowledge some of the dark aspects of that. And it made sense for Gilda to be, like, very anxious and depressed. And obviously, there can be some humor in that. But for the most part, there's also, like, aspects of, you know, true... Uh, misery and you know not happiness when you flip to those pages so yeah yeah <laughs> you mentioned structuring it around the catholic calendar i don't know anything about the catholic calendar how does how does it differ from just your everyday calendar so it's like i wish i had a book here but um it's like there's Easter is a time period, right? There's uh, 12 tide or whatever they call it. Christmas. Uh, there's different ways of like the time of Christmas. Okay. There's Lent, right? And then there's also, um, what's it called? Like, like normal times or something. There's, I can't remember what it's called, but there's, okay. there's or ordinary times. That's what it is. Ordinary times, which are the times when there aren't like, uh, things like lent going on <laughs> it's how they structure their calendar okay do you feel like having structured the novel around that what did it disrupt the sort of typical narrative structure that we all use like beginning and then triggering event and then like adventure and climax and coming down like beginning middle end type stuff or does it i think the part of why I picked it is because it kind of complemented that to a certain extent, like the, the calendar kind of, you know, it follows to an extent, like mm. Lent, for example, and the, you know, the biblicals, right. uh, you know, and the, the end of the book, I think is, it might be Easter or something. I, I should probably look at my own book before I come on the podcast to talk about it, but I was considering what the time period meant in terms of uh, what was going on to a certain extent. And I, um, 
positioned it so that the end of the story is the same as I think the time period of like cheeses coming back <laughs> or oh, you know yeah. that kind of yeah that's that type of thing is really interesting for me um it makes me think of how like she have you read Sheila Hetty's motherhood I have yes yes yeah. how that's, she that's a great book she says she structured that book and its narrative structure around a woman's menstrual cycle so Oh yeah. There, there right. isn't there isn't a beginning, middle, and end to that book. But oh, it's a I love that continuous right. cycle, which I think is really interesting. And I've like, not that I want to copy that, but I've just been thinking about this narrative structure that is so like sounds so simple. How you know Arist Aristotelian, I think they call it. You know, the beginning, middle, end type thing. Right. And ways I might be able to like fiddle around with the structure of a narrative. So, um, yeah, just with all that in my brain, you say to structure it around a Catholic calendar. So it's really interesting to think about different narrative structures, I guess. Yeah, I think one thing, I don't know if this is a, it's a, like a good writing tip for anyone listening, but I do think uh, it's kind of fun to think of like that example you gave with motherhood and with the Catholic calendar. When you're writing a story, if you can think of like cycles or patterns or processes or whatever in life that are sort of topically related to what you're writing about. It can be a sort of fun writing exercise to think of how you could structure your story in a way that sort of follows that to a certain extent. And even if you don't end up doing it, sometimes that can help. Um, you know, it gives you, yeah. it's sort of a creative way of thinking. Yeah, exactly. If there's one thing I love about writing is that you can experiment if you want to, and you don't have to show it to anybody. So if you want to mess around with narrative or the structure or however that works, you can just do that and then throw it in the garbage if that's what you want to do. Anyway, I'm thinking it's time to move on. So maybe tell me about Oh Honey uh, as much as you can remember. We talked last time about it being, it's hard to remember details about that book, but compared to sitting down to Oh Honey versus Everyone in This Room Will Someday Be Dead, was there a big difference in how you planned it or were working on it? Or how did Oh Honey come to be in the first place? Yeah, so Oh Honey is a, is a novella I wrote, and it was definitely um, less planned than Everyone in This Room, and it was more of... Uh, it's just like a long, short story, really. And I wrote it in my mid or early 20s. And um, I'm in my early 30s now, so it's, it's, it's foggy to me. So, yeah, I, 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 uh, it was the first thing I ever had. Um, well, the first sort of bigger thing I ever had published. Yeah. And, um, you know, it was a really cool experience. It was published by um, an indie press in the UK um okay. which was cool and uh but yeah i it's about a telemarketer for anyone listening who keeps calling the same person over and over it's it's hard for me to speak about it thoughtfully because i can't remember i don't like reading over things that i've written honestly it's kind of hard for me to talk about everyone in this room and i think the only reason i'm able to is because i get asked questions and you know yeah lovely folks like you have me on here and talk to me about it and that never happened for oh honey so it's all just mush in my in my head i don't remember any of it <laughs> okay so how did you get connected with the press in the uk was it just something you found online and submitted there or 
I think so. Yeah, I think it was just something I submitted to. They had uh, they they had like a novella program or something. Um, yeah, yeah. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> I really enjoyed Ohani. I just read it like in in preparation for this. Thanks for reading. Yeah, it's nice of you to read. <laughs> yeah. I think you do a little too much. That's a piece of feedback I have for you. I don't think you need to do. Yeah. I don't think anyone expects uh, you to, to have watched their entire, every TikTok they've posted yeah. or read their, the novellas they wrote in their twenties. It's very kind of you to have done that, but maybe. No, I think you're said. probably right. Um, <laughs> but like, I listened to this podcast called uh, between the covers with David Naiman. Okay. And, like, the man, David Naiman, who is the host, is just, like, so well-read and, and well, like, spoken. And his questions, the way he, like, pulls, like, I don't know. He just is so well-prepared for a podcast. <laughs> and I was like, I'm going to Is this a like, highly produced pro- podcast? Because he might have people behind no, the scenes. As oh, far okay. as I know, it's just okay. him. But he, like, it's part of uh tin house like okay i don't think it started as that but now it's officially like the tin house podcast so anyone who published okay. through them he will have them on as guests but he has everyone he has so many people on he said she led a number of times and he had ursula kayla Gwynn before she passed away and oh cool but he is so well prepared and has and does these deep dives and finds these like weird, weird articles written about So that's about the target the for you? So I'm like, yeah, I'm going to be that guy. That's right. <laughs> well, you know, good for you. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> It sounds like a lot of work, but. Yeah, but it's mostly fun work. But anyway, when I ordered Oh Honey, for some reason, mm-hmm. I thought it was a collection of poetry. I didn't even look into what it was. I just knew you had written it and I thought it was poems. Very nice of you. <laughs> And then it came, and then here it is, a a whole novel or novella. So then I was like, oh, even better. And yeah, I I just really enjoyed it. You can see um, everyone in this room will someday be dead, like, blooming forth from it, sort of. Like, in (laughs) in my head... The reviewer that I quoted at the start, he said it's um, everyone in this room's older or darker ancestor. Like, I think that's totally true that it's like, (laughs) it has some of the same vibes, though I do think it is like um, darker, but um, the way it's it's funny. It's a little more apathetic, yeah. Yeah. I had fun reading it. Yeah, it's a little less. uh, Well, thanks for reading it. That's nice of you to. It is a little more, I wrote it, it would have been what I wrote before everyone in this room. It would have been the thing I wrote right before, probably. Oh, yeah. Um, ish. So I can see why that would be the case. But yeah. Yeah. It's a little more, it's definitely less, uh, it's kind of foggy to me, but I know it doesn't end. Well, sorry to spoil it for anyone. It doesn't end well or anything. Like there's no, it's not a, it's not a, it's not an uplifting read, and I'm in my older age. I'm starting to lean on the side of thinking that is maybe something I would I would rather uh, put in the world a little more mm. hopefulness, yeah. maybe. But <laughs> my my jaded early mid twenties self did not consider that kind of thing. So, warning for anyone who wants to read that book: you're not going to leave it feeling uh, uplifted. <laughs> yeah, but it's worth your time, I think. 
But okay, so how have you changed then as a writer in writing this third book, your second like big novel being published with a publisher? Yeah, so that so interesting facts about space is my new book. It's um, I started writing it well. I was in the like publishing process of everyone in this room. So for anyone listening, it takes a long time between, you know, there's a whole editing process and a whole behind the scenes production of a book coming out. And um, so I had, you know, I was working on edits for everyone in this room when I started writing interesting facts. And so I really wasn't beyond um, feeling a little bit more like it's a little more likely that people would read this book. So I hadn't, uh, I hadn't read reviews of everyone in this room as an example of something that didn't impact this book. Like I wasn't uh, writing this book with any sort of feedback beyond what you get while you're publishing. Um, so that didn't majorly affect it. I did have, um, I guess I did have insight from the publishing process. So you work with editors and people while you're, while you're working towards your book being published. And that was insightful. Like there were certain things uh, that I noticed as I was working on everyone in this room that I took to this, to this new book, like, um, you know, like I just thought of the type of feedback they told me. Like they'll tell you things like, "Oh, I want to know more about this uh, relationship," or uh, "There's not," you know, like give you certain feedback. And I noticed a trend in the feedback and tried to constructively apply that yeah. to this to this book. So that kind of thing happened. But for the most part, I was relatively in the same. I wasn't. Um, I didn't have the book out in the world, but when I wrote this book, really. So yeah. It wasn't majorly affected by, you know, sometimes I think people ask you your second book, you know, how, how is it different from writing your first book? And I wasn't in a significantly different position when I wrote this book that's coming out because of the delay in how things are published. So interesting yeah i have started work on well not that the podcast is about me but yeah I want to hear about you. I was going to say, especially with the first episode, we got to hear more about Tim. I feel like the, the listeners are probably like, I got to know. You want to know the host? I suppose, but yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah, I worked on that first book, the one that's been published for 10 years, almost 10 years. I did a whole lot of things. I earned two degrees and had two kids and was working full time and being in school and writing this book. So it took me 10 years. That's a lot, yeah. Then... I was working on getting that published and tightening up the stories and everything like that. And I started writing, well, even during that time, I was working on a novel that's based on my life growing up in a fundamentalist evangelical church and eventually leaving. Right. right. But I kept coming up against all these walls where I couldn't figure out how to tell the story without like offending my family or people that I cared about who are still right. in church and all that. Right. I, I didn't feel free to write it. Until I read Ocean Vuong's um, every, oh, yeah. uh, on, brief, on Earth Were Briefly Gorgeous. Love that he, book. Yeah, because he was writing to his mom in a language she couldn't understand. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I felt like the book was so like free and vulnerable as I read it that in my head, I'm like, yeah, I'm just going to. I mean, it was more than this, but I was like, yeah, I'm just going to pretend my mom won't be or my family won't be able to understand this book. That's a good, yeah. And like something 
that just lifted the wall. And so I wrote that. I started over, and I wrote that entire novel in the year 2021, I think. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I was stuck in COVID and everything. Right. Uh, and then... I just kind of put that to the side and I started another novel and now I'm like halfway through another novel, but I'm kind of stuck there now that this has been accepted for publication. And then, like you said, all those edits and re-edits and copy edits. Yeah, and takes like a lot that. <laughs> All my mental energy is back to this book that I hadn't really thought about for five right. years. Yeah. And so yeah. I haven't progressed much further with either of those other two things, but Yeah. It's a well. I'd love to. The first life. thing you were talking about there, I just want to say, I'd love. That sounds really. That sounds amazing. That's way up my alley. I'd love to read that. And I'm remembering that I'm have a. I, you just jogged my memory that I think you sent that to me originally, and then sent me yeah. another email telling me to. So I think I have it, and I forgot. So and you do. You do have yeah. it yeah, because we were like TikTok friends before my book yeah. was even accepted. I think somehow. Yeah, I think so yeah. So, yeah, I did send you that book, but then we, we switched it out for my short stories. So. Yeah, but that, that's, that sounds, you know, and I think we were sort of, we sort of talked about this a little bit in the recording that fails for anyone listening, but I think uh, not considering the people who are going to read your book is probably, like, obviously, you know, you have to consider your own life and the impact on your life, but I think yeah. it's no matter what you're writing, regardless of whether it's fiction or, like, you know, like a memoir, I think you're. I think it's probably good to imagine they're never going to read it, and yeah. they might not. Is I don't know. You know, I don't know your situation, so it also you know. But they might not. <laughs> well, okay. With that novel, I actually submitted it to a local award here. It's the City of Regina Writing Award. Oh, cool. Okay, awesome. But they only want a ten-page snippet, so uh, I had the whole the whole novel already written. But I only sent ten pages of it. Okay. And there were some judges like I just I didn't expect much. Anyway, I I placed as a runner up there. Ah. And so that's a good vote of confidence. That's a good. Yeah. That's a sign. That's the that's the kind of thing you're. I was very to excited like. about it and shared it with everybody. But it was for at that time the title of that book has changed now. But back then it was called Look Ma, It's Me. Yes, I remember now. That's the that's the one I I, rem I think I read just the first beginning of it, and I think right. you told me to read something else. Yeah. And so then my well, my mom messaged me right away. Am oh. I the mom in your story, or it's some other mom? And I'm like, well, uh, it's a novel based on my life, but it's fictional, so it's not you exactly. Okay. And right. I had to sort of dance around it. Yeah. That's why one of the reasons I changed the title. I changed it now to That's Me in the Corner. Okay. Yeah. Which I think calls the REM song, Losing My Religion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> what it's about. Uh, yeah. Anyway, at the City of Regina ceremony, my mom came. She invited her, Aww. my dad's sister, and she invited some friends, and they were very excited. But she okay. said, There, after the ceremony, we were munching on dainties. And she said, yes. <laughs> Yeah. She said, I'm very proud of you, Tim, but. Oh. I hope you all understand. I don't think I'm going to read this book. And I said, okay, that's fine with me. <laughs> right. Well, good. There you go. Well, part that's... of me, part of me would love for them to read it and tr to understand more of who I am. Yeah. But another part yeah. of me is like, okay, that makes you're me right. feel a lot better that you're not going to read it. But... Yeah. And to have to navigate the fallout. But I mean, she could have the option to read yeah. it. If you did want her to, you know, you kind of give the, give the option to her by putting it out yeah. there. Yeah. 
So, but we'll see if that even turns into a thing. The publisher has it, like Nightwood Editions has it now. And oh, cool. President has read I hope it. it turns into a thing. I bet it will. It's it was yeah. it, it placed in this award. That's a that's a great sign. It's got a I true, bet it will. True. I think it's good work, but I mean I also think <laughs> I'm the best. You've got those two monsters in yeah. your head, yeah, telling you different things. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway. Did you want to read a bit from uh, Interesting Facts About Space? Sure. Sure. Let me just get my thing open. All right. So I'm just going to read a first, the first few pages of Interesting Facts About Space. So this is a story about a woman who is uh, obsessed with space and listens to a lot of true crime and is convinced uh, that someone is following her. So this is chapter one. The teenage girl was brutally axed to death by her grandmother. A cashier is scanning my groceries. I have headphones in. My favorite true crime podcast is playing. I read the cashier's lips. She asks, how are you today? Well, the podcast host simultaneously says, they found the girl's body in the old lady's basement. I'm good, thanks. How are you? I put the dividers between my groceries and the groceries belonging to the man behind me. I would hate to accidentally purchase his Vienna sausages or worse for him to get away with my tampons. The podcast host explains that the teenager's body was found decomposing in a Rubbermaid bin in the grandmother's fruit cellar. Despite the rotting corpse, the grandmother continued to use the fruit cellar. Along with murder, the woman's hobbies included canning. The body was found next to stacks of fruit, of fruit preserves and pickled beets. Do you need bags? The cashier asks. No, thank you. I brought my own. I gesture to my tote bag. The podcast host jokes, wondering if the grandmother ever considered pickling the dead body. I snort at the grotesque concept while the cashier kindly scans my boxed cake mix and my doll. Sometimes you have to joke about things like pickling murdered teenagers. It's a coping mechanism. It takes the darkness out of the knees. Maybe that's enough. <laughs> thank you very much. Uh, I can't wait to read this book. Comes out in January, right? Yep, comes out in uh, January 30th, I think. I should probably know, but I'm pretty sure. <laughs> okay, my last question before we move on to some like kind of goofy segments is about your writing philosophy in general, maybe? I mean, okay. I wrote down, uh, maybe talk about self in fiction. And yeah, I, I know there's a long history of interviewers assuming women fiction writers are incapable of not writing themselves into their fiction. And I hope that's not what I'm doing here. But in both Oh Honey and everybody in this room, your characters are anxious and probably depressed. And Interesting Facts is about a paranoid woman, so probably some similarities. And I guess on TikTok and various interviews I've seen or heard you being fairly open with the fact that you are too anxious and probably depressed so i guess the question is just how much if anything do you see yourself in your own characters yeah so the way that you know i tend to write first person narrative so you really have to put yourself in the shoes of the people you're writing and um the way that and i you know, obviously, when you're writing a book, you want to write about something you have something to say about, right? And that you have some, uh, you know, hopefully insight or knowledge or something, you know, you have something to say. And, um, you know, I don't have much to say about what it is to be, you know, a straight white uh, man or, or anything that I'm not. Right? I don't yeah. know. I, I don't know what that's like. And, 
Um, so there's certain aspects of the characters in my book that definitely in the Venn diagram overlap with me. Like, uh, you know, yeah, like I definitely, I have mental health problems, uh, and I was intentionally trying to write about those. I tend to like, um, and I don't know what I'm going to do my whole life. Who knows what I'll do, but I, I tend to lean into qualities I have, uh, Right. that aren't that aren't really what you know like for example um gilda is more of a people pleaser than i am i would say but i can imagine what it is like to be that type of person and you know there's maybe like pieces of her that i could really like if i saw someone behaving that way i'd understand why they behave that way but i wouldn't necessarily behave that way and similar with my new book uh, the main character in that book is enid and she is um like more paranoid and fearful than i am but i am paranoid and fearful <laughs> so you know i can write about what it would be yeah. like to be that type of person hopefully relatively accurately without being completely that person but yeah generally i want to write about things i have some level of experience with um so far at least and yeah, yeah. So. write what you know they say yeah exactly Okay, here is the penultimate segment, a segment I'm calling thoughts slash questions that popped into my head while watching Emily Austin's TikTok vids. That's edited since the last time I read it out, but I'm still workshopping that title. Sounds good. <laughs> um, so, I, yeah, I just wrote down little thoughts that I had or questions that I had while I was watching all of your videos okay <laughs> number one do you write with the characters marked in word like the paragraph right. yes yeah. i do i do that uh so that's where you can see like the for anyone it's i can see the spaces and i can see when there's line breaks and yeah that's how i that's how i write and that's not distracting for you how do you what's the purpose there it's not this right. So my day job is kind of tech adjacent and that might be part of why, like sometimes not lately, but when I first started in the area, the general area I work, I did like web stuff, for example. Mm. So I'm used to seeing, um, it's not upsetting to me <laughs> to see, you know, line breaks and, you know, where things are like that, that I actually prefer that because I can see exactly what's going on like word is notoriously you know kind of garbage and sometimes it does things that you you know you would spend a really long time troubleshooting if you couldn't tell oh it's doing that because there's a weird character that you can't see unless you have this visible so that's why yeah. i do that <laughs> i think i am gonna turn it on when i'm doing my editing next because yeah. it, looks, it help, looks helpful that way. But I, I mentioned last time that I do all my writing in a notebook with a pen. You write by hand. So, yeah, that, that's a cool so that's, pen. Yeah, that's a cool way to do it. It just I seems like it. I tried to do that recently and injured my hand, actually. So <laughs> I really it's I hard can't. Work. <laughs> but it's just the way my brain needs to. It slows down enough that I can think about the word. It's not just like fluttering off into a meandering mess of that's smart i do that i definitely do that so maybe i should try to find a balance yeah but so when i saw you doing with the mark the character marks on the computer i was to me that just looks like so much extra <laughs> extra electronics in my face and maybe I'm, <laughs> maybe i'm old 
No, it's probably I, I don't think I'm normal for doing that. <laughs> but it does look helpful because I do use Word to edit everything, and so when I am editing, and yeah, you can't figure out why it's tabbing or indenting an extra inch yeah. or whatever. You're like, what the hell? And then you can you'd be able to see exactly. Yeah, definitely in editing, I would I would say it's it's a it's worth doing. I, hope I also edit papers for university classes. It's my side oh. gig right now oh and, definitely for that definitely. Yeah, because sometimes the way they choose to format a paper I'm like, what is happening and <laughs> I have to, yeah the yeah, citation stuff especially anyway yeah okay number two just a thought why is taking an author photograph so hard <laughs> worst <laughs> i felt so strange taking my own picture but i think i got some good ones yeah i got a really good great. one I had a really good photograph, but I was smoking a cigarette in it. And well, I a mean, lot of people said... That's true. Smoke. People Here's don't like thing. Yeah, I was smoking yeah. a cigarette in it at the same time as I was trying to quit smoking. No. People, people were like... Do <laughs> you're a little poetic. Want, There's do some... you really want that to be your photo when you're going to quit? And I was like, yeah, you're probably right. Uh -oh. so. no. <laughs> and then I saw... Number three, I saw one of your posts said things I could talk forever about, and one of them was Frog and Toad. So, oh, okay, that's wanted yeah. to chat about Frog and Toad a bit. I I love Frog and Toad. So yeah. Frog and Toad, I part of what okay, part of what I love about Frog and Toad is that to a certain audience, they have no idea how queer coded it is. Yeah, and so it's a fun like I have a Frog and Toad tattoo, and it's cool. fun to have like you know like older women kind of be like, Oh, I love frog and toad. And yeah. you can tell it. And then, but then the other people are like, like uh, lesbians or like yeah. gay men being like, Oh, frog and toad. Right. It's, it's like a, it's a fun sort of secret code, but I love frog and toad. Like regardless of, of that aspect, I think frog and toad has such a calming, uh, cute vibe to it. Yeah. I love frog and toad. That's and actually, a, you know, a hard question people ask often is, what's your favorite book? Yeah. And uh, I can never answer it. And my, my cop-out answer is Frog and Toad. Oh, uh, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of awesome, the way you just described the secret code or whatever. Because we, <laughs> we were talking before about how I used to borrow the little movies, the Frog and Toad adaptations of the books to movies. When I was a kid, my dad took me to the library and we borrowed these movies. Yeah. <laughs> it's really funny for me thinking of, either of my parents putting these on for us, me or their That's grandkids now, <laughs> and then just being like, ha they're so gay. <laughs> Very gay. Yeah. I know. That's part of why. And they're also, they're gay in such a sweet, like, yeah. and they, in such a, like, uh, non-sexual way, which is um, sweet, especially when you consider, not that I'm saying that's necessarily the case for, for them, but when you consider some religious, uh, you know, views of homosexuality, it's so hypersexualized, and they don't yeah. at all appreciate the aspects that are represented in Frog and Toad, which yeah. is just two sweet little, you know, creatures swimming together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like Frog and Toad, too. I like them even more with adding that little bit to them. <laughs> Number four. Where is the last bookstore? The last bookstore is a really cool bookstore in in LA, and uh, I actually went on a trip to LA right before it was for my thirtieth birthday, which was right 
before uh, things like lockdown for COVID. So uh, if you saw that on TikTok, it's probably because I was making TikToks with the content I had in my phone. (laughs) (laughs) I will tell these videos of this cool bookstore I went to. So I I think I've actually only been there once, though I have a bad memory. So it's possible it's twice. But it looks... I just remember thinking it looks awesome. I want to. It's like on a bucket list now. Yeah, it's a really cool bookstore. Okay, number five. How often, if ever, do you look at reader reviews? You know, yeah. So I don't frequently look at reader reviews, but I don't have. I think we sort of talked about this in the in the call that failed, but I have something wrong with me where I expect every review to be bad. So I don't have that feeling that I think is perfectly healthy and normal and what people should have that some authors seem to have where it's like devastating or really upsetting or you want to respond to it. Generally, my instinct when I see a bad review is like, with some exceptions <laughs> for the most part is like, that's valid and that's useful. And, um, and I, so I have no issue looking at them and occasionally, you know, like when you have a new book coming out, for example, you want to go update your like Goodreads profile and, you know, they ask you to do, you know, you update. Yeah. So you see stuff. And, uh, so, I mean, I've, I've probably, and occasionally people will send me like, uh, I have someone who likes looking at them and they'll occasionally send me like funny ones. Like one was like the bell jar, but worse, <laughs> like a one star. And, uh, and one that was like, I don't know, there's a bunch that I think are like, I mostly, I think, uh, have no problem with, a with looking yeah. at a review that's bad. And, and a nice review is so sweet that it, it's almost, uh, all positive when i look at at the review because i'm not super affected by a bad one and so the good ones i get to read without feeling like oh there's a bomb in here it's there's no so i appreciate it (laughs) i think for me i'll try to avoid them okay i I probably won't be able to help myself and i'll I'll want to go see them you know people can send you them though maybe what you should do is ask maybe someone with your publisher or like someone who you know and ask uh ask them to send you the ones that you would want to see that's what i think some people do because you know it it can make you know people can be I've seen some reviews of, thankfully, I haven't seen one that really crushed me, but I have seen reviews of some books I really liked that I thought, whoa, that is yeah. so harsh. And, you know, that could potentially be really upsetting. So I could appreciate well, why. Okay. I think for the most part, I'd be similar to you in that the negative ones wouldn't really affect me that much. Ones that would, though, are if someone like pinpointed one of my um, like insecurities around the work or right. something, like. I can't think of anything specific, but if like my, my book is a collection of stories and in each story I get to a point while writing it where I think this is actually just garbage. I should throw it away. <laughs> I think we, I think that's a common, I feel that. Yeah. Way too, so yeah. But early on I used to, when I got to that point, I really did just throw it away. Me but too. then yeah. I got to a point where I was like, that was part of the process. I was finally to a place where I'm like, okay, now it's really settling into a real story. I can figure out what's wrong with it or whatever. Just keep going. Like now it's part of, I don't really feel like I'm into a story until I start feeling like it's shit. (laughs) That's a good attitude. Yeah. I'm going to try to think that way. And then I push, then I push through to the end. But if I don't know, like I've, 
I'm kind of over this now too, but I used to feel no matter what I wrote, no matter how like dark and gritty I I tried to make it, I still felt like my writing was very juvenile. Like if if I read it after or I was handing it into a workshop or something, I always thought my peers are going to say this feels like a child wrote it. No. Even though nobody ever said that. No, yeah. It doesn't. I've read it doesn't read that with the 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 version I saw doesn't read that way at all. Not at all. But so what I'm saying is if I were then to go read a review and someone was like, This this is stupid. It's supposed to be for adults, but it's like a child wrote it. Why (laughs) that's gonna be a problem with you. (laughs) If someone else like zeroed in on my deepest insecurity around Right. You know what? I think I do it. I think uh, I don't think there's a high. As someone who read your the particular book that you have coming out, I really, really highly doubt that happening. Yeah, true. I think if you're worried about, you know, you never know. Like you never know what people are, how people are going to receive things. If you're worried about it, I would ask someone to to filter them for you. Yeah, that's a really good idea. (laughs) Okay, this is the last section. I think I will end every episode of the podcast with this section i'm really excited for it and so many people have already asked me for this section so i know it's going to be a hit anyway this is friends off within emily austin if you tell emily austin any of these books are your favorite books it's friends off okay the first ones are obviously like overtly hateful people like Jordan Peterson, Ben Shapiro, Matt Walsh. So that's one. Or right, and also there's a book that I don't want to say the name of, but it was it was uh, in the Ottawa Library collection and it caused controversy. It's like an like a very transphobic book. That 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 kind of book obviously friends off. A book that I find people or a writer that I find people always recommend to me when they don't like if I'm at work, for example, and there's a book on my desk. Occasionally, uh, like a coworker I don't really know will be like, "Oh, you read." And I'll be like, oh, yeah, a little. And then they'll tell me to read James Patterson. And that's always a red flag to me that we're probably not compatible. Uh, And then uh, the last ones would be, I don't have, like, I'm pro self-help book. I've read some, like, you know, some therapists have recommended workbooks about anxiety, for example, pro that. But any self-help book that is, like, focused on hustling becoming rich that kind of thing mm-hmm. i'm not interested and i'm deeply incompatible with anyone who is and then there's another type that maybe is less incompatible but still not compatible which is uh, a type of book a type of self-help book that is like uh like uh, selling you snake oil kind of where they it's not really uh like someone doesn't really have the credentials for example to be providing mental health you know, and they uh, talk a lot about like how to self-actualize that kind of thing. We're incompatible, and it'll be really hard for me to uh, mask that we are. So, <laughs> those are uh, those are friends off for me. Thank you for doing that. <laughs> okay, how about friends on? Do you have any books you're just loving these days? All right, yeah. So, friends on is going to be any book that is any one or multiple of these qualities. So I like it to be weird, sad, funny, gay, or insightful. So for example, uh, Carmen Maria Machado is a, is a writer I like, um, who would be sad and gay and insightful and weird. Uh, <laughs> Jen Began is another, uh, great writer. Her, her recent book was called Big Swiss. Uh, it's really good. It was weird and funny and gay and yeah, lots of things. Uh, Miriam Taves wrote All My Puny Sorrows, which is a really funny book. Uh, 
love that book. Um, other authors like Roxanne Gay, uh, Zoe Woodall is a Canadian writer that I'm a big fan of. It's going to be Friends On if you like Bell Hooks or Joan Didion. Another Friends On would be, uh, in terms of reading, would be this isn't these aren't books I read, but I find that if I meet someone who's really into like fantasy. It's probably friends on. There's some exceptions, but, you know, like someone who's into like, uh, particularly the type of person who likes like, and I don't do this, so it's not, it's not about, but if they're into like Ren Fairs or like D&D, I, I would probably friends on, even though I don't do those things. I just, those tend to be nice yeah. people, uh, I find. There's probably exceptions, but friends on if you're into high fantasy, even though I'm not. <laughs> so. Cool, cool, cool. Do you have what's your most recent book? Say the book that comes to mind when I say what's the latest thing you just loved? Oh man, um, what is the latest thing? It's hard for me to. Th I I read um, the Adult by Bronwyn mm. Fisher relatively recently. Uh, it's possible I've loved things since I read that though, but that comes to mind. So that's okay, cool. <laughs> That one's on my shelf, but I haven't read it yet. Oh, awesome. That's good. That's a good one. Cool. Thank you so much, Emily Austin, for coming on and joining us on Tim Blackett and Friends. I had so much fun, even though we had so many technical difficulties and all that. I'm so glad we could do this. I'm so glad you were able to join me on this, the very first episode of Tim Blackett and Friends. Well, that about does it for the first episode of Tim Blackett and Friends. I want to apologize for the sound quality. I know it's not the greatest, but I'm working on getting some equipment that will fix that. Hopefully, in a few episodes, we'll look back on this together and laugh at the quality. But for now, I hope you enjoyed your time. I want to thank all of my Patreon supporters. Marnie Ryber, Colleen Maloney, Scott Roche, Kristen Guillenard, Jessica Sheffman, and of course, I want to thank my partner in the love of my life, Chantel. I couldn't do any of this without you. I love you. A one, a one, a one, two, three, four. Tim Blackett, baby, baby, do, baby, do, 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 do